Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together, we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 14 years. But this is the place where we talk about cocktails. We'll be talking about products, we'll be talking about books, and talking about the bars that we love and we think that you'll love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the drinks world and asking them for their top tips to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail-wise. So let's hear what's on the show this week. A tasty aperitif-inspired spirit, a super delicious gin and our kind of neighbourhood bar. We've got a bumper crop of goodies in this week's episode. And, as World Whiskey Day is on the 20th of May, naturally we're doffing our caps in that direction too. We kick things off by mixing a black Manhattan before exploring the nuances of Bativo, a virtually non-alk drink bursting with botanical goodness. Then, we ramp up the ABVs and dip into René, the brand new Chablis-based gin from actress Emma Watson and family. Our bar pick sees us at equal parts in Hackney, as chilled as it is cool, and we warm up to whiskey, US style, in our book Bourbon, The Complete Guide to the Essential American Spirit. Then, boy oh boy do we have a treat for you. It's the always entertaining, ever-inspiring Colin Dunn talking all things whiskey. Yes, it's a little longer than our usual interview, but we think you'll love it, whether you're a newbie to the category or a fully-fledged whiskey connoisseur. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves that cocktail. Okay, so as we've said, it's uh, we're nodding toward whiskey and World Whiskey Day. So, of course, I'm doing a whiskey cocktail. Good, I should hope so. I should jolly well hope so. <laughs> and I'm going for something called a Black Manhattan. I've never heard of that. So what is it? Well, I'm well, sure you're going to tell I me am. now. Well, like you, I hadn't heard of this. I just heard it recently, not that, you know, in the last few months. And I, so I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So I just did a bit of research, found out what it is. And essentially, very simply, it's um, it's a Manhattan, but replacing sweet vermouth with um, Amaro. Hmm. Basically the difference. And I thought, well, we like Manhattans. We like whiskey. We like Amaro. So why don't we just mix it all up and see what happens? Okay. And um, while I'm making it, I should tell you, it was invented by a guy called Todd Smith in San Francisco at the Bourbon and Branch Bar in 2005. Wow. So thank thank you, Todd. And we've never actually made this drink. No. Well, let's save the thank you until the end and (laughs) we'll see if we like it first, I guess. Okay. So... My glasses, my coupe glasses are chilling away, and I'm just going to crack straight in. We're using London rye because uh, we tasted this not that long ago, and we mm. both really loved it. So I thought, like, let's let's use that. The East London rye, you mean? Sorry, East London yes, rye. Thank you. Not for, just any London. Thank you for correcting me there. So I'm putting in, as ever, mixing. I'm stirring this. I'm mixing it up for two. So 50 ml per person of rye and got a lovely amaro here and i am going for 25 mil each of that so 50 in total 
So there we go. And while you've been doing that, I've been putting in some bitters. So a couple of dashes per person of Angostura bitters and a couple of dashes per person of orange bitters. Mm. As we often say, simple cocktails at home. We love simple. Mm. And two ingredients. Well, three with the bitters. Well, yeah. Or if you count two different bitters, that's four. Yeah. But, you know, who's counting? (laughs) I think you were. (laughs) So that's in my mixing glass. I filled it up with ice. I've given that a good stir. Rather like when we shake, I'm just feeling it, make sure. I'm going to have a little sneaky taste just to see how it's going Mm. along. Mm. Interesting. Tasting good. That's going to be a little extra stir. A little bit more chilling, a little bit more dilution. Okay. Anything else as a filling while you're filling time? Yeah, I don't have to. I've got my chilling, as I said, my two glasses. I'm just going to discard the ice from those. And now all that remains for me to do is strain this off, and I will be dropping in when I have done a lovely maraschino cherry oh yeah. lovely so, and also because so it's, it's good to say quick. because world whiskey day is not just about neat whiskies you can have your whiskies any which way you like you said it my friend mm. all right so let's get those lovely maraschino cherries in and bish bosh jobs are good and lovely right, let me pour that pour that pass it is, that over it's to it's much you. darker than you'd normally have mm. as a manhattan isn't it lovely little cheers for world whiskey day Cheers. Oh, well done, Todd. We like that. I love that. Really, really good. The rye whiskey and the Amaro. Mm -hmm. Black Manhattan. Here we go. So even though we've mentioned World Whiskey Day, we're not staying just with whiskey because that's not for everybody. So... For our products, we've got two different products. I'm starting with, it's not exactly non-alk. It's 0.1% alcohol, yeah, which is virtually non-alk. But it's called Bativo. They describe it as a slow-sipping botanical drink inspired by aperitifs. Okay. So it's a sort of, um, we've got a blend of five fresh botanicals, orange zest, rosemary, thyme, gentian and wormwood. Those last mm. two really give the bitter taste. Yeah, it's a nice bottle, by the way. For, I can it see is. from where I'll I'm pass sitting. That. I'll pass it over I'm to you. I'm taken by the bottle, even at distance. Mm. So they say it's good for the gut. It's Ooh. all natural ingredients, no flavourings or preservative. Very small batch, and it's produced in the UK, prepared and bottled on a farm in Hertfordshire. So, yeah. very local. Can I just quickly say about mm. the bottle? Because I do like it. It's like a Brahms. It's I guess that's 50 seal, yeah. Yes. It's a smaller bottle, but it's got a really nice illustration on it, which is just um, some... What looks like the sort of party I would like to go to? Do you yeah. remember I used to talk about people I want in my oh, gang? Oh yeah, you haven't talked about well, them. Well, they're all for going straight time. in my gang. They look yeah. like, like my kind of party it's, people. It's, it's beautiful. So it's infused. Those lovely botanicals that we spoke about—they're infused mm. in a fermented apple base. So it's that vinegar that I mm. said that I got on mm. the nose. It's an apple cider vinegar sourced from a family-run farm in Devon, and then it's all put together and balanced with organic wildflower honey. So, I mean, I 
I feel even better just talking about it, let alone <laughs> tasting it. I mean, I, I've jumped ahead of you and mm. had a little sly taste while you've been chatting away. Um, I because I just really like bitter things anyway, mm. and this is it's says bitter, but it's balanced. My there is a little bit of sweetness in there as mm. well, but. Like you, I can imagine this being a really good digestive. Yeah. And the fact it's practically non-alcoholic really surprises me. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very herbaceous, I think. Very. And we've got that bitterness and the lovely citrus tingle there. And they sort of have it's it's quite interesting on their website, you can see some cocktails with alcohol, so you can sort of add it as a booster but also some non-alc ones and serve it with a soda or something like yeah. that. And also with kombucha. So just oh, to, to boost that, which would yeah. be, which is beautiful. So that is Bativo. It is a 50 CL, as you said, bottle with 20 serves. And that comes in at £26.95 from BativoDrinks.com. And we just give a little shout out to the creators, Sam Paget-Stevenson, and also Imi Ermgerson, who is the healthy hedonist who they've together, they've created this oh. lovely drink, which is Bativo, and it's made in the UK. And we love it. Let's add this to our little uh, repertoire, I think. Up. Indeed. As you just said, it's not all about whiskey. You know, we're dancing off in other directions. So I'm dancing off to the world of gin. Okay. So I've got a very new gin. I've literally been released in the last few weeks, and it's called Rene. Mm -hmm. And it's an English gin, but it's inspired by France. And let me just pass the bottle to you while I'm chatting, because it is a beautiful bottle, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Also, the Rene, we should say, is spelt R-E-N-A-I-S. So yeah, that I very French Rene. Yeah, I think it sort of means Renaissance, I believe. Oh, lovely. Okay. I love this bottle. Now, there's a, you know, we've said this before sometimes about this golden hue, and I can't really tell if that's the bottle or if it's... If the gin is infused with like a saffron or, you it's know, got that something. glow, hasn't it? So we'll find yes. out, I guess, when we pour it. Because I, I don't, can't tell, actually. Yeah. Either way, it looks lovely. Like I really glow. like the label. I love the lovely etchings on the side. And it has got this lovely majesticness to it with a lovely gold cap. And is that an orange or yellow label? Orange, orange with a sort of gold kind of lettering yeah on and, and nice, nice embossed mm. it looks premium to it me gary premium. tell me all about okay, it okay so there is a no, so we like things when I mean, they got a bit of a story this has got a story it's also got a fan story mm, even a, better it's inspired by the terroir and tradition of uh burgundy and in terms of the family and this is in no particular order, but it's, it's very much a family affair. So there's this chap called Chris Watson, who is the father. He's not actually been involved in making it, but he's been a Chablis producer for over 30 years. That's mm. his passion. Mm. And we're pretty partial to a Chablis ourselves. So Chablis? A Chablis, even. <laughs> um, and his children grew up visiting the vineyards, and they were inspired to do it. So I should say the two children in question are... Alex Watson, who has worked in the drinks industry for about 10 years, and his sister, Emma Watson. Oh, we know Emma Watson. So, yes, it, well, we don't know we Emma don't Watson, know, but, but it, I know that name. It is, in fact, that Emma Watson, mm -hmm. the, the actress and activist. And what I should say, and I think this is really important, 
this isn't like a product that's got a celebrity name attached or endorsement, any of that. Emma, if I can may call her Emma, has been really involved in the whole process of making this gin. First and foremost, Alex refers to her as giving him a kick up the arse <laughs> when he was pontificating about whether to do it or not. Oh, Those yeah. are his words, not mine. Okay. But he said a big sister can do that. Mm. So she said, bloody hell, just, just get on, get on, get and on do with it, it. <laughs> um, which he did. Um, also, as I say, she's lent a lot to the the process in terms of what she believes in. So the packaging, for instance, is very important. So it's made, this looks like cardboard, but it's actually made from mushrooms. Oh, that mycelin? Is it oh, mycelium You've got ahead of me there. I yeah. don't know what you call So that, but also she's really driven that the product oh, wow. should be carbon neutral, mm. that they put things back in terms of environmental initiatives and humanitarian oh, initiatives. So she's really driven mm. that side mm. of it. And Alex has sort of produced the the liquid, and he worked with someone we know, a bartender called Jack Sotti. Brilliant. Sotti, who we know very well and has actually written for us. Yeah, he's our contributor, he, one of our contributors. He is indeed. So they, Alex and Jack, walked around the family vineyard and basically got inspiration from what is it all about. So the base spirit is made from reclaimed grape peel that would go to waste after the winemaking so that's the base spirit mm. but then they kind of walked around and they looked at what was sort of on the, the vineyard so and they took inspiration for that so there's uh, as i said there's these uh, salvaged grape skins there's additional uh, grand cru grapes there's lemon there's orange peel there's also linden flowers so the linden the, the orange and lemon not found at the vineyard obviously but the linden flowers and particularly, and I bet I'm going to mispronounce this, Kimadingian stone. But it's, this is the stone that is the terroir of Chablis. Right. So they found a way to get that into the gym That's as well, unusual. Isn't it? Mm. So that's all going on. And there's the kind of more obvious uh, botanicals like juniper, uh, angelica, coriander. Anyway. So it's a kind of Chablis-inspired gin. So shall we crack it open? Yes, please. Right. So as you said, it's got an amazing stop. Really on, nice. Really gold. Let's get that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing how much it is because, as I say, it does look super, super premium. Yeah, well, I'm going to hold that back to you. Yeah, I Let thought you were. Pass, as ever, I've given you a generous... Yeah. Thing. So what is so that colour? It is golden. It has got, got a golden little, hue, hasn't mm. it? Yeah, it has got a little golden hue to it. And Oh, it's lovely aroma. It's really fresh, the aroma. Mm. It sort of dances around, doesn't it? Totally. I love the viscosity of this. Look at look at that, what it's doing in the glass. It's almost, I wouldn't say syrupy, but it has got this huge cling appeal yeah, to, yeah. to the glass. So, again, you can tell that it's it's very, very premium. Mm. Mm. It's soft. It's lovely to sip neat. Now, mm. some gins I don't really like sipping neat. This has got a beautiful, beautifully balanced feel about it. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't it? jar. It really works well. And I think also because of that viscosity it makes it easier to, to sip, yeah. you know, and, and yes, of course, I'm sure it will work beautifully in an array of cocktails, but actually just to taste it on yeah. its own, you get that freshness. You get this sort of field, like, like dancing through fields, I think, yeah. almost. It's, it's lovely. It's really interesting that you've picked up on that because they yeah. very much say, amongst other things, that it is designed to be sipped. 
Oh, they do. And, oh, great. And, no, I'm glad. Or over ice. Mm. I think it, it's interesting. We've noticed this a little bit recently of one or two gins talking about sipping. And I think this is yeah, a classic example. Yeah, this is example. really lovely. Why not just drink it? Like, mm. We're drinking it at room temperature, but I think over ice, this would mm. be amazing. It's very, it's almost quite buttery almost as well. You know, yeah. it's just got a lovely lightness, freshness, but there's quite a lot going on. It's not like it's it's wimpy at all. No, it's no, a no, no, beautiful, no. beautiful gin. And I like that. And also just going back to the serves, there are a couple there are a few mm. on the website there. And the one that really jumped out to me, and I know it's not because it's a martini, because we like a martini. Mm. But it's called the Terroir Martini. And basically it's this, but you're replacing the dry vermouth with Chablis wine ah yes so, so that's, that's gonna work yeah and it, it takes so, it back yeah. to its roots yeah. as well which is yeah that would be very very and nice and they have a long drink called the emma which is with elderflower liqueur sous lemon juice and topped up with soda so nice yeah long, that would be lovely drink. as well yes. so that is rene it is oh and you asked about the price. yes so for a 70 CL bottle, it's £45. No, I thought it was going to be a lot more than I that, actually. I think you're right. I yeah. thought it was going to be, for all sorts of reasons, I mm. would have thought it'd be more. But it's not. It's 40 ABV and it's £45. Oh, wonderful. It's very so it's a beautiful bottle, beautiful product, great mm. story. That is Renee. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. Hi, my name's Dawn Davies. I'm the head buyer for the Whiskey Exchange. And my cocktail hack is if you're making a daiquiri, sex it up by just adding a little splash of a rum agricole or a claran to really give yourself a little punch. We love visiting all sorts of bars, but it's always something particularly exciting about going to a brand new bar. Mm, it and is. This couldn't be more brandiest and newest, I don't think. <laughs> um, it's called... Equal Parts. Equal Parts. And it's uh, from, amongst other people, Michael Sager, mm. who people may recognise the name Sager from Sager and Wild. Mm. Also, he has a very interesting backstory as well, because he's been behind bars such as Milk and Honey, Quo Vardis, Happiness Forget. So he's got a good pedigree. Really? And also with his bars, Sager and Wild, which he has on Hackney Road, and then also on Paradise Row. And this place, Equal Parts, sits right in the middle of that sort of pathway, doesn't yeah, it? So you so could do your own sort of do mini, a bar- mini tour, yes, which we would exactly, advise. Exactly. Would advise. It's a really, really good spot. So how do you describe it? Um, well, it's, it's quite a bijou bar. Mm. But what I liked about it, uh, first impressions, was it's very the light is what really struck me. Mm. You walk in and, and as we sat there, we went there when it was still natural light and then mm. we sat there till it got dark and they control that environment really well. So there's the beautiful Venetian blinds. So that was letting the natural light flood in. But as the evening went on, they closed the blinds, they brought out candles mm. and changed the mood. There's lots of natural things going on. The back bar looks like nice natural wood. The bar itself the top the top of the bar i think it was metal i think it was zinc zinc yes yes yes. so all these and there's lots of nice little touches like the light the way the lighting is done yeah and also talking about light i loved as soon as you walk in there's this lovely 
glass brick oh, wall yeah, yeah, towards yeah. the back yeah, and also this lovely skylight so during the day it's this wonderful stream of natural light coming in and then as the evening changes you can see the evening change even though they've put the shutters down there's just this reality of what's yeah. actually going on outside so i love that connection with with the real life light yeah, yeah, as well totally. and also it's interesting you mentioned day because i think in the daytime i think it sells coffee and pastries yes and yes stuff. yes but obviously we were there more for the evening or more, <laughs> more for the cocktails also before we get onto the drinks they have a good old-fashioned turntable at the back mm. and the bartenders are responsible for choosing from the yeah it was interesting talking to, to them to about the the yeah. playlist because yeah. it was like you know how do you how do you put it all together and if, obviously everyone has different musical tastes but it was very much like they read the room and it's it, they all play around with it really yeah. but it was very seamless i loved the way that the Albert, the LPs, shall we say, LPs, in old-fashioned, old-fashioned yeah. terminology, mm. but it just works really well. And there's something beautiful about seeing the bartenders changing records and yeah. actually putting the needle down on vinyl. So you know, listening bars or bars with vinyl, it's not new anymore, but there's something that is really homely about it. Yeah, and I, was I think say, it's a bit of a house. Party yes, feel. yes, it yeah. just really connects everybody and yeah, this, yeah. that's what this room feels like it's not a big room but it's just the right size for you know it's it's just very convivial isn't it yeah. I think. and also on that point of the music the acoustics mm. were always mm. really good yeah because we we enjoyed the music i think they were playing kind of some sort of latin music All while sorts. We were there, yeah. amongst other things but you could hear the music, but you could chat away, yes. as indeed everyone in the room was mm, chatting away. It, it, was, really, it was packed when we were there. We loved it. Yeah. Really good. Okay, so that's the setting. There's also, I have to say, lovely little touches. So you've got you've got plantings, you've got really nice, it just feels very homely. They've decorated it really nice, Yeah. very minimal, but enough little touches to make it homely. I think. I think you just summed it up nicely. <laughs> Thank you. No, no, well done, my friend. Okay, so um, what about the drinks? In terms of drinks, I don't think that the drinks are all about equal. No. Parts, but I think they're inspired by yes. that because I think they like the idea of drinks, as we, I think a lot of people do, like simple simple drinks mm. like a Negroni, simple which but is equal complex. parts. Yeah, mm. simple in terms of putting them together. So I think that's where they've taken inspiration from. And also, I think they want to sort of have a sense of it being an aperitivo kind mm. of bar. but Aperitivo not and Amaro's yeah. and things like that. So let's dive in with uh, my first choice, if I may. Can mm. I dive in with my first choice? Please do. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, I'm also so predictable sometimes. If I see something that's got slightly a hint of a martini, it's like, okay, that's where I'm going. <laughs> so I'm sorry for being predictable. I went with an Alpine Vespa. Mm, that was which, delicious. Which was was yeah, which was vodka, laxado bitters, Neulipat, vermouth, and branca menta. All served up in a beautiful little Nicanora glass with an olive, and it had a clean look. There was a hint of green about the glass. And for me, I mean, as you said, it was a beautiful drink. Mm. You know, if you like a martini as we do, this is a nice variation on a martini. And it's kind of not the sum of the parts. It was like every time I took a sip, I thought, mm, that's interesting. Mm, that's interesting. You know, you kept getting lots of little mm, nuances. I just thought it's bloody delicious. You I didn't keep bloody delicious. <laughs> yeah, I was wearing that sort of studious you face. You were, yes. You were yes, wearing yes. your happy face. Yeah, I, yeah. I certainly was. Yeah. 
And I had, I must say that my drink, it came from the EP original. So before I get on to that, there's um, different categories of drinks. There's the aperitivos, which yeah. are all priced at £9. We'll give some examples. There's um, Hunter, which is the Fernet and Chinotto. There's Sue's and Pink Grapefruit. Mm-hmm. VS Cognac and dry grape soda. And then there's the equal parts, which your one was from. And mine was um, EP original. So I went for the floor, which is olive oil, vodka, fino sherry and tomato. Again, Mm. a real delicious burst of flavor, but actually super, super lovely blended, you know. So you got this wonderful mouthfeel of the olive oil vodka the fino sherry adding brightness and dryness and all sorts of wonderfulness all at the same time and then the tomato bringing in this other other dimension that really just lifted the whole thing it was beautiful so really nice my mouth's watering thinking (laughs) about that one what was your second drink my second drink was called criollo which is a kind of old-fashioned style drink but made uh but not as you know it no because it had beetroot in there which softened the rye whiskey and again it was you know it's kind of an old-fashioned style but Mm. that's not to say it's an old-fashioned cocktail if you know what i mean there's the spice that you get from the rye but as i said earlier uh, the beetroot and i'm a big fan of beetroot in any any form and that's just there and it kind of softens off the the spiciness so a really sippable is that a word? Sippable <laughs> drink. Mm. So I really love that as well. I stayed again with the EP originals. I went for the orange, which is a mix of orange wine, capriolis pear, amaro and elderflower. Really refreshing, really delightful, really great mastery of balancing flavours and aromas. It was mm. a delicious drink. I think for me, we've said this once or twice before, you know, certain bars, they really feel like neighbourhood bars. Mm. I just wish this was in our neighbourhood. I mean, having said that, we'll make uh, an outing every so often. Yeah, it's really, really, we highly recommend it. So that is equal parts from Michael Sager and the Sager and Wild team. And it gets the big thumbs up from the cocktail lovers. The brand new issue of the Cocktail Lovers magazine is available now. ABVs, anniversaries, age statements, percentages, three-seater and 300-plus high-volume bars. This is the numbers issue. To get your copy, set up a subscription or gift it in print or digital, visit thecocktaillovers.com slash magazine. Okay, so my book choice this week is called Bourbon, The Complete Guide to the Essential American Spirits. And it's by an author called Clay Risen and photographs by Luke Sharrett. So I wanted to do this because it is, you know, we said about the whiskey thing, but bourbon's a little bit different. And I thought that rather than going straight whiskey with the books, it would be quite nice to do something on bourbon. So, Gary, let me pass you. That is a 
Well, Isn't it great? It's a uh, it's a slip cover. Is that mm, the slip cover? Yes. Yeah. With uh, already this lovely photograph of bourbon barrels there, and then it's actually got. Well, you're probably going to explain little drawer, this to isn't it? Explain this. To so me. it's a, a sort of box set with two pull-out drawers. Oh. One has got the book, and then oh. the other one neatly contains this little treasure trove of like of, a map. It, before you even get inside, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah, but have a yeah. look at the book because yeah. there's some great photographs Sorry. in there. So as I say, one of the drawers is the actual book, and it's it's very handsome, very beautiful book. And then the other drawer has got a map. It's got some lovely, really good reproductions of flyers and rare bottle labels and photographs and things like that. So it's it's put together like a keepsake box. That that second one. But we'll talk about the book and um, the chapter one is all about the story of Kentucky whiskey and it goes from the history, how whiskey is made, how to drink it and how the various American whiskey styles, about all the American whiskey styles and collecting. And then it goes through into various chapters, including a sense of place, which sets up the history of where bourbon comes from and goes into old guard distilleries. Some of the names that you know, including Buffalo Trace, Jim Beam, Woodford Reserve and things like that. And with each of the distilleries it talks about, It goes into how old they are, what their annual yield is, who the master distiller is. So that's the top line stuff. And then it breaks down the distilleries, their styles, their stories. And then it also pull out some lovely little spotlights, which they have interviews with various people from distilleries. Then there's another chapter about new establishment places including Mm -hmm. Angel's Envy, Rabbit Hole and Bullet, you know, other names that you know. Right. And then goes into craft whiskey, non-distilling producers, and it gives dates and annual capacities of different things. And as I say, it's just a really nice journey of bourbon. So it would be a wonderful present for somebody that you know loves the the category. Yes. Or for yourself, because you are a great fan and you want to know a little bit more. And as I say, it's so gorgeous, this package of the the two drawers. It's just nicely Mm. put together, isn't it? And it's available from 10 Speed Press. It's 288 pages. And it is priced at around £56. It's a, you know, it's not a cheap book, but it doesn't look a cheap book either. It's a great gift for a bourbon lover or a whiskey lover, or as I said, for yourself. googled the word whiskey or looked it up in your favorite encyclopedia chances are you wouldn't even get close to the depth of knowledge that our guest has on the subject however it's not just what he knows about whiskey it's how he shares it and brings it to life that makes colin dunn unique Starting the Whiskey Club in Leamington Spa in 1997, which grew to some 600 members, he went on to become the ambassador for Beaumont Suntory, representing, amongst others, Beaumont, Ockentoshan and Yamazaki whiskies, before taking up the role of Diageo Whiskey Ambassador in 2008, representing some 28 distilleries and the range of Johnny Walker blends. 
He presents the world of whiskey through multiple trainings and tastings, and he's particularly known for his very individual style of language and a love of dressing up to illustrate his fantastic stories, including donning a kilt atop Dramur Castle. He's won Class Magazine Ambassador of the Year, UKBG Ambassador of the Year twice, Imbibe Magazine Personality of the Year, and he's also been awarded the much-coveted Keeper of the Quech. We are delighted to welcome the legend that is Colin Dunn to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Welcome, Colin. Well, that is a lovely introduction. I'm going to take that and play it back. Anytime I'm feeling a little bit low, I'm going to, ah. I'm going to put that <laughs> tape on and go, this is who I am. <laughs> it's only half of who you are, Colin. We love you and you know that. And thank you for joining us today. So first of all, let's just start with the nitty gritty bits. How long have you been spreading the gospel according to the world of whiskey? Well, it goes back to last century, Sandra. Last century. Unbelievable. And it really started when, as Gary said, I was in Leamington Spa and I was working for a, a wonderful old traditional wine and spirit merchant called S.H. Jones and Son. And when I joined them, they said, listen, we want to give you a category so that you can nurture it, help it to grow and see where it takes you. And I said, well, listen, there's an area that I'm interested in that I don't know enough about. And that's whiskey. And I said, well, listen, the floor is yours. If you want to start a whiskey club, if you want to start developing an understanding of the world of not just Scotch, but bourbon, Irish whiskies, Japanese, etc., go right ahead. So I opened up a club in Leamington Spa. And back in 1997, there wasn't really any whiskey clubs that were in action at that time. I think I was one of the first to do it. Doesn't make me exceptional at all. It just means that I got onto that carousel at a very early stage. So I thought what I'll do is I'll invite people to come to these tastings and we'll taste these whiskies. But in all honesty, at the time, even with a wine background, I thought I really need to understand where whiskey is coming from. So I started to invite people from the industry, from distilleries, that could enhance our understanding, appreciation, and knowledge of that category. So I had people like Bill Lumsden, who's now at Glenmorangie, Jim McEwen, Gordon Wright from Springbank. And all of these people were coming down, and it was fascinating. It was like opening up the tomb of Tutankhamun. There were all these amazing people with incredible stories, and then we got to taste their Aquavita, Eau de Vie, Ushkava, Ushki, the water of life, whiskey. And after around about a year, Sandra, I thought, do you know what? I think I could present myself now. I'm so enamored with this category. I believe that I can contribute myself. So those people passed the baton to me and I ran with it and took coach trips to Speyside and to Isla and met the people at the distilleries and listen to their stories and put all their stories in a carrier bag in my head, brought them back to Leamington Spa and spread the word about whiskey. That's really how it started. And we ended up, Gary, with 600 people, which was 
phenomenal. And particularly at that time, because whiskey wasn't a huge thing at that time, or it was a closed shop, I would say, at that time. So you've done a lot for the category. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. Really, at that time, whiskey, if I may say so, at the time, whiskey really was drunk by the more mature person. And it was drunk neat. And it was being advertised in a way that in some ways, was a little bit elitist. It wasn't appealing to the younger generation. And you know the younger generation, Sandra. They don't drink what their parents drink. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Just briefly, could we jump back a wee bit further? Because you mentioned when you were talking just now about it was a category that you were interested in but wanted to know more about. But what actually attracted you in the first place? Well, if I go way back in time, my father gave me my first whiskey and I absolutely hated it. I didn't understand it. I swallowed it in about one second flat. And years later, the distillery manager at Yamazaki said to me, you know, well, it sounds as if you've gone to the art gallery, but you've not looked at the pictures. And I knew what he meant because I wasn't understanding it. And coming from a wine background, I mean, in London, prior to going to Leamington, I worked as a wine manager in Richmond, Surrey, of what they used to call an off-license. And in that area of Richmond, they were really into their wines. But very slowly, we started to develop as a company at Fuller's a whiskey category. And we took on whiskies from a company called Gordon and MacPhail, who were based in Elgin in Scotland, and who are, in fact, the biggest independent wholesalers in the world. And Gordon and MacPhail, really, it's a big shout out to them because they would buy barrels from distilleries that were only selling their whiskies as blends. And they were buying casks and selling them as single malts. So all of a sudden, I discovered that there was this massive category that had not really been understood. And I didn't really like, I didn't A, understand it, and B, when I had tried whiskey, I was not drinking it in a way that made me understand it any better. And it wasn't really, Gary, until I won through Fuller's, I won a trip to Isla. And I remember saying at the time to my father, look, I really don't like whiskey and I don't really understand it. And my father said to me, well, you are in the drinks business. You're only as good as the worst area. So if you don't know anything about whiskey, even if you don't like it, you should understand it. So I jumped on the plane to Isla, got off at Terminal 1, Isla Airport, and I was met by a guy called Jim McEwen, who was the Beaumont Distillery Manager at the time. And some of you out there may realise that Jim also was manager at Brookladdie, the real outgoing distillery on Isla that reopened in 2001. And I said to him, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I said, I have to tell you, I don't like whiskey, but I'm here really to learn about it. And he says, well, laddie, we're going to take you into a whole new realm of understanding whiskey. You're going to eat with us. You're going to drink with us. You're going to sing with us. Nothing else. Those three were quite enough. So I worked at the distillery at Bamour, and I met all of the local people there, all the distillery workers, some of which had never left the island. And I listened to what they had to say, the sheer fact that they would go to work and 
nobody would come and visit. There were no, there was no such thing as visitor centers then. And he said, and they all said to me, all of a sudden, there's people coming to the island wanting to understand more about whiskey. And I really got the bug, Gary, from that moment. And Jim said to me, do you know what? You remind me of what I was like when I was your age. And six weeks later, I was offered the position of being Bemore's first ever whiskey ambassador. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes you take different paths in life. And I think it's time that I take that new path that's being offered to me. So I left the wine trade, said goodbye to Riesling and Gewurz Traminer, and said hello to Golden Promise. <laughs> and that's our gain, which is fantastic. So, I mean, you were saying that you had thought you didn't like whiskey. And there's a lot of people, myself included, I was like that. I thought I didn't like whiskey. It's such a big category. And also that first introduction is always quite a sharp reality, I guess. You know, it's quite a lot to take in. What are the most common misconceptions that newcomers to whiskey have about the category? Well, the biggest one, particularly with the younger generation, if they've not tasted whiskey before, or if they have, often they've been given a glass of whiskey. And in some cases, it might be something like a, a spirit from Isla, in which case they're quite pungent, powerful, peaty. And it's something that if you've not tried spirits like that before, it can be a massive shock to the system. And if you swallow it, as I did, in one second flat, you've been pulverized. You know, and the odds are, I know from young people who've told me this, when I say, do you drink whiskey? And they go, oh, I've tried it once and I really don't like it. It's like putting on an Alexander McQueen suit and it's five sizes too small, right? You put it on, but it doesn't fit. You don't feel comfortable. Therefore, you go, I'm not going to buy into it. And that's the biggest misconception. And in fact, the great example is Scotland where scotch is made, the number one spirit in Scotland is vodka. And it's drunk primarily, Sandra, by young people who use it, use vodka with mixers. So they change the character, the density, the strength, and the flavor of that spirit. It's almost like having a watering can and pouring water on a flare that's still waiting to come into bloom and you pour water onto the flare and the flare opens out and you smell that flare and all of a sudden you're getting fragrance, you're getting floral notes and you then start to say, wow, this is a wonderful flare, not just to look at, but also to appreciate. And that's the first step. I remember my daughter when she said to me, I really don't like whiskey, dad. And I said, well, listen, let's see what we can do on this. And I thought, my God, I'm a whiskey ambassador. If I can't even convert my daughter, I've got a major problem. So I got some Haagen-Dazs choc chip cookie chocolate ice cream, and I poured some Dalwini over the ice cream, just a little. And she woofed it up and enjoyed it because the major flavor was still obviously the ice cream, but it had a top note of sweet, buttery, almost like butterscotch notes. And she goes, I really like that. So then I gave her some shortbread and I said, 
crack it up in your mouth, make crumble it up in your mouth. And when it's all crumbled, now add a small amount of the same whiskey, Darwini. Mix the two together. And she said, oh, my God, this is quite interesting. This is taking, I've never tasted shortbread like this before. So on to step three, very quickly here. I then gave her the same whiskey with some soda water in a long drink with three ice cubes. And she had a sip and she goes, that's really refreshing, Dad. And I thought, fantastic. I'm on the home straight with this one. Right. And then finally, I said, now just take a small nip of Dalwini, which is a very kind of, I call Dalwini whiskey with two sugars. It's slightly sweet and it's very easy on the palate and on the pocket. And she tasted it and said, you know, I like that. And of course, now she's Dalwini's biggest customer. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the same sort of way that you go about dispelling the myths with? people that you come in contact with, the way that you did it with your daughter, just breaking it down into sections like that? Yeah, it's a really good question, Sandra. I mean, I do take it that I've just come back, for example, from, uh, don't get me wrong, this sounds very pretentious, viewers, listeners. I've just come back from Cannes, where I've done some tastings, and the majority of people were not whiskey drinkers. They were sort of between 30 and 50 years of age, there were a lot of people saying, I don't really understand it. So I'm looking really, Gary, at the individual and finding out what they do like and how they how they tasted whiskey previously. And in, for example, there's a whiskey made on Isla called Lagavulin, or as the Americans call it, Lagavulin. And if you taste Lag- Lagavulin neat, acoustic, it's got flavours of hospitals, bandages, TCP, iodine, brine, seaweed, bog myrtle. Not everyone's cup of tea. Not hey, really. <laughs> but neither is Lapsang Souchong, right? <laughs> but if you pair it, and I was lucky enough to have some pre-prepared canapes, I gave this particular woman that I'm talking about some blue cheese, some Roquefort cheese, and I got her to taste the cheese and make it into a creamy kind of mouthfeel and then add a quarter of a teaspoonful of Lagavulin into the cheese. And the lady said, oh, my God, this is fantastic. I'd buy that whiskey just to pair it with that cheese. So that's the kind of scenario. It's a bit like also if for any of you listeners have heard of Borough Market, the first ever food market built by the Romans back in the first century. I love taking people down to Borough Market, buying some North Atlantic oysters, which are quite salty, and then going down to the on the banks of the Thames, and I have like a, a an aromatizer full of Talisker, and I get them theatrically to drizzle some Talisker over the top of the oyster. And it's hello, salt meets pepper. And they come together and people, you know, beginners, newbies go, that's really nice. And that's the first step on the journey. It's each individual that I talk to, Gary, I'm literally trying to find out where they've come from from a taste perspective. I've got to gauge it, you know. If it's an 18-year-old person who's brand new to it, it's got to be really delicate with a very delicate whiskey. It might not even be 
a scotch it might be a bourbon because bourbons tend to have that lovely maple syrup toffee pecan note you know so it's really looking at the individual and going how can i help you understand something that you may or may not like i fully understand that i'd say the success rate is around about 80% i could lie and say they all fall in love with it they don't but that's life right that's life but and it's interesting on that note of talk about you know how you approach different individuals over the 20 plus years you've been doing this what have you found in terms of how the audience has grown and also the type of audience that drinks whiskey i can give you three really good examples i talk about at the beginning how most people start off and going back 20 years whiskey being drunk neat it was sacrilege to offer anything else nowadays i'm looking at certain individuals and the first example is there's a members club in london that's got quite a literary crowd very much into books and every monday the first monday of every month i would host a whiskey and words tasting and i'd select six whiskies and six passages that i would read out from some of my favorite books on my shelf for those listening i hope you all remember books they used to be really fashionable <laughs> and so i would say choose a, a whiskey like say crag and moor from Speyside, and i'd read a piece from hunter s thompson fear and loathing in las vegas or it might be charles bukowski hemingway so each whiskey would be nosed sampled and tasted while i would recite a paragraph or a page from a certain book and after the first session at this members club i had the members saying would you mind if i brought in a book myself and shared the whiskey and the reading of my favorite passage with you and this you know this went on every monday so that in the end i would go to the tasting and there would be six members and i didn't even have to say anything <laughs> and I mean, just enjoy the whiskey <laughs> exactly um and the other example is a really good bar in london called oriole which some of you may have heard of i can't remember the exact location you would probably know more than changed me changed now yes it's changed now but at oriole i used to host whiskey and music evenings and I formed a band called the Lagavulins. And our sound was like four flat tires on a muddy road. <laughs> sort of like a cross between Z Top and C6 Steve, you know? <laughs> and we would, this band, I was very lucky to have some great musicians from bands like, you know, members from Bob Marley and the, Whaler, the Whalers, Eric Clapton, The Darkness. And all I had to do was stand up and pretend I knew what I was doing and sing songs. And I would change well-known rhythm and blues songs, songs like Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit, uh, and stuff like that, and pretend to be a rock star. And at the same time, they would be drinking whiskey and listening to music to bring the two together. And the last example, Gary, would be going to Isla the Isle of Festival, and knowing that they only ever drunk whiskey neat, I took a guy, a gentleman called Alessandro Palazzi, who's the bar manager at the Duke's Hotel in London, and I said, listen, 
we're going to, I'd like you to come with me and we can host some tastings and we'll call them acoustic electric. So we'll taste the neat spirit, sort of like a program on television called Sunday Brunch, where I then look at you and say, right, what can you do with this? And Alessandro would do a twist on a cocktail like a Negroni or make a smoky old fashioned. And then we'd finish up to make it lighthearted. We'd mix Lagavulin with Coca-Cola and call, we called it the Smoky Cokey. <laughs> because that's what it's all about. <laughs> and we got everybody in the distillery to form Very a line <laughs> and like a snake line. And we're all singing, oh, the smoky cookie. Oh. So that was the new way of presenting to people who only drank whiskey a certain way. I didn't want to ram it down their throats. And also making it fun, making it lighthearted, making it approachable, which is amazing. And that's one of the things that we love you for, because it's all about approachable, being inclusive. And also, as everyone can hear from this, very entertaining, even while you're educating. Who inspired you when you were starting out and who inspires you now? Well, I'll give you a couple of hits from the past. It'll probably be people that your listeners won't have heard of. But if they Google their names, I'm sure they'll see a plethora of of hits for these particular people. The first person that really inspired me was I was doing the diploma in Wines and Spirits in London. And we're talking 1987, somewhere around then. And I was doing a, a big presentation for the diploma on whiskey. And the WSET sent down a gentleman called Richard Patterson. Now, some of you won't know him, but I do hear, this was just last week, that he's now a TikTok star, where (laughs) thousands and thousands of people are checking out his videos, which are a little bit dated, but sometimes that happens. But Richard comes on, and he's very suave, and he comes on in, in a suit and immaculately dressed, and he told us the story of whiskey, but he told it from almost like a timeline and made it so theatrical. I could not, honestly, I'd never heard or seen anyone present in that way. And he then took a member from the audience onto the stage and he brought out a whiskey that was, I think, around about 50 years old from a distillery called Dalmore in the Northeast Highlands. And he got this lady to close her eyes and to taste this particular whiskey for around about 30 seconds sort of over the tongue and around the gums and chewing it and letting it ping around the palate and dance on the tongue. And she's got her eyes closed. So one of her senses is down and she's in her own world. And then all of a sudden he taps her on the back of the head and he says, open your eyes and now swallow and now breathe in some fresh, now breathe in some air. And of course the alcohol meets the palate and giggity, giggity, all of a sudden, the woman is having what we would call a Meg Ryan moment. It's like a sensational <laughs> feeling emotionally that's given her a total different understanding of this whiskey. This was back in 1987. And I thought, oh, oh my God, if I ever decide or get the opportunity to talk about spirits, I'm going to have to make it theatrical because this guy, and I must tell you this, Listeners, I'm fast forwarding now to 2020, 
22 and I'm at a whiskey show and Richard is not on Richard Patterson. He's not on the main stage. He's been sort of put on one of the smaller stages. And the person I was with said, look, there's Richard Patterson. He's not on the main stage anymore. He's on this, he's on this kind of subsidiary stage. And I said, and there was only like five or six people there. And I said, well, let's just stay here a moment and watch this man work. This is over 35 years since I first seen him. And within 10 minutes, there were 100 people there listening. This man is a whiskey evangelist. And 35 years later, and even to this day, Richard Patterson, check him out on, on TikTok. He was my real first inspiration. If I fast forward to modern day, if I look at the new kids on the block, so to speak. I come from Cornwall. I come from St. Ives in Cornwall, in the deep south of England, initially. And Cornwall, most of the young people in Cornwall, we leave. We become industrial gypsies. We go where the work is. And there's one gentleman who I met in London, who I found out also came from Cornwall, from a place called Newquay. Some of the surfers listening may may have heard of Newquay. And Last year, this gentleman, a guy called Josh Linfiz. Oh, yes, the ugly butterfly. Do you know him? He's doing some great things. Well, Josh and I got on fantastically in well in London, and he said that he was moving back to Cornwall to work in a new kind of setup called the Ugly Butterfly in a hotel in a place called Carbers Bay in Cornwall, just outside of St. Ives. And what he's doing is... He's spreading the word of not just whiskey, but cocktails in general. He's taking cocktails to an audience who, to be honest, have not seen anything like it. In London, I think we're spoiled. You know, we can go to the Connaught Hotel and see Agostino Peroni making martinis with a flourish. We can go to the Duke's Hotel and get the class of Alessandro Palazzi. We can go to Rules in Covent Garden and see Brian Silver consistently bringing flavours to the fore. I mean, if I had to be pinpointed to who's impressed me the most from a cocktail perspective, Brian Silver is probably my number one. I only say that because I met him first at a members club called Home House and he gave me a Negroni. I then bumped into him at Scott's in Mayfair. And he made me a Bloody Mary, which was unbelievable. I then bumped into him in a, an establishment in Covent Garden. Name escapes me at the moment, but it was an American kind of diner. And he produced a Kalila cocktail, which blew me away. And now he's at Rules in Covent Garden. Again, 30 years on, people come in from 18 to 108. And he makes them happy. Should be a great name for a song. also the thing is you sort of touched on it a little but you know whiskey and storytelling they kind of go hand in hand over the years let's pick out one story that's really stuck with you the world of whiskey well let me tell you gary and this one will create a picture in your mind and hopefully the listeners as well And I can see Sandra on my screen. You can't. She's already got the (laughs) forefinger on the chin. You know, it's there. So, job with Diageo 
was when a gentleman called Nick, Dr. Nick Morgan, uh, who was the top man in whiskey at Diageo at the time, he said to me, what do you like in boats? Are you comfortable being on the sea? And I says, of course, I come from Cornwall. <laughs> I grew up by the sea. And he said, look, I've got a group of 15 French journalists and we're going to take them on a boat. We're going to go from Oban on the West Coast down to Isla and then up to Talisker on the Isle of Skye. And I'd like, this is his words to me, I'd like you to turn them on to whiskey. They're all travel writers from France and they're, they're all writing pieces on the west coast of Scotland, the Hebrides. And I thought, oh, my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> I'm doing this for a living. This is unbelievable. So I got myself kitted out in all the latest North Face and all of that kind of stuff and met them all in Oban. And they all told me that they did not drink whiskey. They were from France. They drank wine. And primarily, they were traveling to talk about the Hebrides. And I had on this boat all these cases of whiskey, but very little wine. And I thought, this is going to be a real challenge. So we went from Oban to Isla, and we docked in the bay. In We docked at Lagavulin Bay for the evening. And I proceeded to lay out in the stern of the boat, some whiskies. And they were all, I won't say arrogant, but they were very dismissive of these whiskies. And they told me, can you open the wine? We don't want to drink the whiskey. <laughs> and I thought, sacre bleu, mon ami, what, what am I going to do here? I'm going to get sacked next week. <laughs> Anyways, so the first night was a complete failure. On the second night, we went due north, heading towards Sky, and round about six miles out from Sky, and none of us had been talking to each other. They were neglecting me, and it was like, oh God! This, and this is a five-day trip as well, you know. And but out of the mist, I seen this island, this little island that I'd read about when I was a young boy in short trousers. And I'd read that on this island, J.W. Turner had painted this island and it's hanging now in the National Portrait Gallery. And I'd heard that Oscar Wilde had gone there to meditate and get away from the madness in London. And I'd heard that Byron had gone there to write some poetry. And I'd read that Felix Mendelssohn had gone there and written the Hebridean Symphony, the Hebridean Overture. I'd read about this when I was a young boy, and the island is called Staffa, S-T-A-F-F-A. So all you people listening, if you've got a spare iPhone, Google image Staffa. It is the eighth wonder of the world. It's a very little, it's a small island. It's uninhabited. And it's got a cave there. This cave is called Fingal's Cave. And I remember reading about it and it said, 
when the Atlantic Ocean crashes into the cave, it creates a cathedral of noise. Now, you can imagine to a young boy like me at the time, a cathedral of noise is something I'd never experienced. And the words used, I thought, was taking the English dictionary to the nth degree. So I said to the captain of the boat, I would, I want to do a tasting in that cave. Have we got time? And the captain looked at the tides and said, we've got 90 minutes. So out came the dinghy and we did five trips of three and we took everybody to the mouth of Fingal's cave. And it was sadly, it was too rough to get into the cave. It was dangerous. In fact, nowadays, I wouldn't even be allowed to do that. And I thought, do you know what? This is a chance in a million here. We've got to take a moment. I've got a bottle of Talisker and I've got 16 little plastic cups. So I said to all the French people, we're going to climb to the top of Stafford. We're going to climb to the top of this little island. And it was surprisingly easier to do than I thought, which made me very happy. And when we got to the top, all of us were stunned because we were met by 800 puffins all talking to me in Gaelic. (laughs) 800 puffins. And these French people were completely knocked sideways. And I got, I opened the bottle of Talisker and I poured it into these tiny little plastic cups. And I said to everybody, just do a 360 as you're standing there on the top of this island. Just take in a whole of the Hebrides here because you could see for miles and miles. You got a real perspective. And I told them about in the early days how the Vikings came over to these islands. And we tasted Talisker, and it was a moment. Two or three of them were in tears. And I knew they, they con- a lot of them contacted me afterwards to say they'd made it their screensaver. So we didn't have a Riedel glass. We didn't have a fancy vessel. We had plastic cups, but we did have this amazing scenario with an incredible distance, 800 puffins, which has never happened since and will probably never happen again. Oh, wow. That's a story. Sandra, we all hugged each other and then got back onto the boats and carried on our journey. Wonderful story. We became really good friends after that. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, okay, we've had this wonderful story. I don't know how we're going to top that, really. But this episode is highlighting World Whiskey Day, which falls on the 20th of May. Since you've been working in the whiskey world, as spreading the world as an ambassador. Where were some of the most unusual whiskey-producing countries that people may think they're very unusual, and which have surprised you most and why? Well, that's a great question. I mean, these days, whiskey is being made in so many countries. that It's a veritable, it's a melting pot these days. Everyone is tuning in turning on and dropping out to the taste of whiskey, right? I'll give you a few examples. Listeners, India. India, yes, India. Now, you all know the climate 
in India primarily is quite humid. So their whiskies mature that much quicker. There's a great distillery there called Amrut, A-M-R-U-T. Their whiskies are ready to be drunk after three to five years. They're light, they're spicy, they go well with Indian foods. A lot of Indian restaurants I know in London are stocking them. If you'd have told me that India, Indian whiskey would be making an impact on the palates of people around the globe, I would disbelieve you. Not now. Phenomenal. Recently, I've tasted whiskey from Israel. Israel. Now, there's a lovely distillery there that's named after a bar in London. No, I tell a lie. It's called Milk and Honey. <laughs> what a name for a whiskey, Milk and Honey. And those guys, I met them in London and in Scotland uh, over a period of time. And they told me they were, that they were going to do this. And again, their whiskies are fairly young. And I should mention before I go on, a lot of particularly young people, they're drinking young whiskies. I totally get that because when you look at older whiskies, often they're unaffordable for a young person's pocket. And young whiskies offer a completely different style and taste than older whiskies. If people, young people are able to taste old whiskies and have some good friends or come to some of my tastings that I do, I'll always share. But young whiskies now come into the fore. And a really good example in London, good old London town, in North London, in a place called Park Royal, there's a little distillery called Bimber. And Bimber is run by a husband and wife team. And the owner, the man in charge of distilling, a gentleman called Darius, Bimber in Polish is white spirit or white dog. And this gentleman is changing the face of how whiskey is being perceived. It's what I call a boutique or artisanal distillery. Their output is very small, but each cask, similar to Chichibu Distillery in Honshu on the main island of Japan, each barrel has its own identity, its own DNA. So what Darius is doing at Bimba, he's personally going to places like Lefroig Distillery on Isla, for example, and he's choosing casks, empty casks, that have previously contained whiskey, but he's choosing the cask on whether he thinks the cask is good enough. And listeners, the cask is all important. It can give between 60 to 80% of the flavor. And in this world where every distillery is in search of a new flavor, you're now tasting, in the old days, it would be bourbon cask or sherry cask. Nowadays, you break sherry down into Fino, Amontillado, Oloroso, Mantanilia, etc. And now in comes the wine casks, which incidentally, what whiskey was matured in pre-1955, bourbon casks, which is about 90% of the barrels used to mature whiskey in Scotland today. Before 1955, there were no bourbon casks in Scotland. They were wine casks. In fact, Talisker used to age their whiskey in port barrels, port pipes as they're called. So Bimber is individually selecting casks that have contained unusual esoteric liquids 
And even then, it's tipping your toe into the pool and you don't know how far that ripple is going to go. That's the reality. So if you think of wine, people go, if I said to 10 people in the street, how many grape varieties can you say? You'd get probably Chardonnay or Sauvignon. And then you go, okay, can you get a bit deeper? And then you go, Gruner Veltliner, Riesling. And guess what? Distilleries now, like Bimber, are practicing using barrels with unusual previous occupants of that barrel and seeing how they develop. Bimber is at the top of the tree. Chichibu is another one that's come to the fore. Kavalan in Taiwan is another great distilleries, a great distillery that's producing some incredible spirit. And I should look at our Antipodean friends over in Australia and New Zealand. My favorite at the moment is a Tasmanian distillery called Overeem. You know, I thought it should be over my dead body. No, it's Overeem. <laughs> it's Overeem. It's not over until it's Overeem, right? And again, in this case, it's a father and daughter enterprise. So if you think of Diageo, and we have 28 distilleries, and I look after around about 130 different whiskies from these distilleries, go to Amrit, Milk and Honey, Cavalan, Bimber, Overeem. You'll never see them in supermarkets. You're going to need to go to an independent specialist. And if you're lucky enough to be in a town or a city like I am in London, if you go to some of the best bars, you will see in the last couple of years a massive growth of these independent distilleries on back bars. It's not just scotch anymore. These bartenders, these mixologists, want to be able to pass on the baton, like I mentioned earlier, and give their customers a completely new and unique taste. And that's fantastic. Absolutely. For everybody. What's your, quickly, your current go-to? Something that you'd probably drink of an evening after a long, hard day's work? <laughs> At the moment, I'm putting on my Diageo hat. And I'll tell you why. Not because I want to promote Diageo, however much respect I have for them, and I obviously do. But the big thing is, recently we've opened the Johnny Walker Experience in Princess Street in Edinburgh, right? And if any of you get a chance, if you're in Edinburgh, seriously, check it out. It's got something for everybody. And getting to the point, the biggest thing there is highballs. Now, for the life of me, and probably Gary and Sandra know more than I do, I have no idea where that – well, I know where it came from. It came from Japan. But it's such a weird name. I'd love to know how you how somebody came up with, let's call this drink in a tall container a high bull. <laughs> it's a crazy one. A that's, bit for like another, that's for another episode. <laughs> exactly. It's a bit like Hogshead. It doesn't make sense, right? So these days I'm drinking primarily at home. Talisker whiskey mixed with soda water in a highball with three ice cubes. Oban, a West Coast whiskey mixed with ginger ale. 
Johnny Walker Black Label in a highball mixed with coconut water and Lagavulin mixed with Coca-Cola. And there's a really good book out there for any of you who want to take that first step into appreciating whiskey or don't want to drink whiskey neat. I have a book at home here called Whiskey, the Manual. And it's written by a great writer called Dave Broom. And very quickly here, he's he's got about 200 whiskies that he's tasted over a period of, I don't know, 12, 12 months, 18 months. And he's mixed them, these whiskies, with the five biggest selling mixers in the world. And in no particular order, the five biggest selling mixers in the world are soda water, ginger ale, Coca-Cola, from Asia, green tea, and from South America, coconut water. And he tried all of these whiskies with those five mixers. And the outcome was incredibly surprising. So I'm slowly working my way through my fever tree mixers and San Pellegrinos and just playing around, having fun. Because at the end of the day, I've probably had too many whiskies to drink anyway so a long refreshing <laughs> drink gary suits my palate yeah lastly you've kind of preempted something i wanted to ask anyway about sort of drinking whiskey in summer because you associate it more with, with winter but i think you've already done it there you know with the highballs but on a similar line what are your top tips for us and our listeners about using whiskey in cocktails yeah well whiskey in cocktails is a fairly new phenomenon and what I found with, because I'm not a educated bartender, but I mix with the bartending community. So I'm more into listening what they do to make whiskey come alive, to make whiskey in HD, if you will. And I think the best starting point that has been passed to me is look at the classics. Start with the classics and replace the spirit with a particular kind of whiskey, whether it's Scotch or Japanese or Irish. Example, margarita. Now, you know, I don't have a tequila cap like Sandra does, Port Pavor. <laughs> For those of you listening, it's an in-joke, right? I can see her face and you can. Right? And... I, I remember being at a tasting somewhere, at a blind tasting of tequila blanco, unaged tequila. And I put Talisker New Make Spirit in to a blind tasting tequila blanco. And it came third. Wow. Out of two. No, out of, <laughs> it came third out of 18. Wow. Okay. Right? So. Sometimes Talisker replaces Don Julio when I'm making a margarita at home. Another really good example is Diageo brought out a few years ago a whiskey made for cocktails. And the whiskey is called Hague Club. And it's primarily, it's not drunk by whiskey drinkers, it's drunk by people coming into whiskey. And I was introduced to whiskey in cocktails with Haig through tasting in a bar a Negroni 
which, as you well know, is 33% gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth. And I replaced the gin with Hay Club. And I've since seen it in bars where they've done exactly the same, where a certain bar has used Haig and they put it into various cocktails to show that it's a really good mixing whiskey. So what I would say to anybody out there like myself, who's not necessarily a bartender, experimenting with classics by using a different spirit, it can be fun, it can be exciting, it might fail. When you get a success, it's like a, it's a moment. And for me, whiskey is made of moments. And to be able to take that moment and show to somebody else, and I'm using this for the third time, I'm passing the baton on to someone else. You know, I hope that answers your question, Mr. G. It really does. does. Thank you. Fantastic, Colin. You have been a source of amazing information and great storytelling, as we've come to expect from you. And I know that our listeners will thoroughly enjoy it. And for those that have yet to come into the whiskey category, I think you've done everything to make them at least dip their toe in the water. So thank you so, so much. And we'll see you for a dram very soon. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. And to all of you at home, the cocktail lovers, they're hip. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.